Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. You can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, criminals have come up with a new way to defraud you using a tool that's designed to prevent fraud. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And coming up yet later, there's new data out that what's known as velocity of homeownership is slowing to a crawl. That's how often people decide to move from one place to another. I want to tell you the implications of that for you and your wallet, whether you are a homeowner or would like to be. I want to talk right now about something that got a lot of buzz. Seems like anytime Amazon makes a big announcement, it gets a lot of buzz. And Amazon has started an offer with General Motors cars, which is Chevy, let's see, Buick, GMC, Cadillac. What GM divisions did I miss? Did I say Chevrolet? Anyway, so they and also Volvo have started a cooperative effort with Amazon that will allow Amazon to deliver packages to the trunk of your car or SUV, the back hatch of an SUV. So using technology that's in these cars already, tying it in with Amazon, it deals with the problem of the porch pirates. The porch pirates have become a plague on any online seller as they follow delivery trucks, as they go on their rounds, and then as soon as the delivery truck is out of sight, they rush and grab the packages left at the driveway of someone's house, the the front stoop, wherever it is, and they run off with them. So, you know, consumers now know, with most delivery methods, when the delivery took place. And so you know that that thing has come. I mean, before that, a package would be stolen and no one would be the wiser, but the package is still gone. So there's a lot of effort to try to figure out how to solve this, and Amazon trying to come up with a solution that works for them is to put things in the trunk or the hatch of a car. But when I was at CES in January, what used to be known as Consumer Electronics Show, I saw much more creative and better solutions to the package theft problem. And it's you having a delivery box at your house. The boxes come in different shapes, forms, and sizes to those that can take really big delivery boxes to those that can take smaller things like an oversized mailbox. And they come with a system hooked up to the Wi-Fi in your house where the driver, delivery driver, the thought was UPS FedEx, would be able to open the box electronically right at your house, put their package in, and close it. At the same time, with their barcode reader, you know what package was delivered because that information is sent to you real time. These systems are not expensive, and it would allow you to have a secure way to receive packages, ways other than something that would be proprietary 
just for Amazon. But I know that there's so many bright people out there. There are going to be a variety of solutions that are developed to deal with the problem with crimes of opportunity where people are stealing your stuff and for you, you're not out the money, but you have the hassle and the delay in getting the item that you ordered. Patrick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Patrick. How are you? Patrick, you have a question for me about thieves. Is that about right? Thieves? Actually, I have a question about um, if you lose your wallet while you're traveling. Yeah. Well, usually it's not lost. Somebody grabbed it. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. So this actually happened to one of my wife's coworkers. Yeah. And what a pain. Absolutely. And I was just curious, well, if it happened to my wife, what can we do to be proactive in case of that situation so she's prepared so she can you know, get, get back on a flight, get home, and have sure. some money while she's still out of town? Right. So there are multiple layers of preventative steps you take up front. And so if if someone's traveling domestic and their wallet gets stolen, a woman's purse gets stolen, has your ID you're going to fly with, and we'll talk about the other things in a minute, credit cards, cash, that kind of stuff. The TSA actually has a procedure for that because it happens enough. And they have a procedure that if you go on tsa.gov that walks through how you would verify identity at an airport to fly home if you have had your government-issued ID stolen. Okay. Now, I actually do something. I'm, I travel every week pretty much. So I'm extra paranoid about this. So I have... And in many states, you can do this. I have both a state-issued driver's license and a state-issued ID that is fully legal to show at TSA security. So if my wallet is stolen and I lose my driver's license, I have back in my hotel room, I have my state-issued ID that will allow me to fly. Okay. So I leave that packed in my suitcase that stays behind in the hotel as far as uh, credit cards when I travel I thin my wallet out and I don't take everything that I have so that in the event that someone were to grab it that I still when I got home will already still have credit cards when I travel internationally and I'm in any pedestrian city I always wear a money pouch that you know straps around my neck, stays under my shirt, and tucks into my pants. And in my pocket, I only have whatever the local currency is in whatever country I'm in. I have some local currency cash in my pocket and one credit card. My passport's always locked in the hotel safe in my room. And I have a copy of my passport in Google Photos. Are you familiar with Google Photos? I am, yes. So I have the picture there that if I had to go replace it at a U.S. consulate, I've already got the two key pages of my passport for them. Perfect. Is well, that right, kind of co- is that cover 
what you were really thinking about what happened to the friend? It is that you know. How do you get back home? And then, but another question is, how do you obtain you know funds while you're still out of town? If your bank isn't local, you couldn't just walk into a branch and say, "Hey, I've lost my wallet." You ask me a bunch of questions, and I access some cash. How could I also get cash if she? I guess if she had the ID, state issued ID, she could go to a Western Union. Exactly. Send some money that way. Right. And so that would be the easiest way. Uh, outside the United States, there's a money transfer service that's fantastic. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of them. They're British-based. They're much cheaper than traditional money transfer services. And I just can't find it wherever it's hidden in my brain gotcha. right now. Perfect. Well, I, this has been very helpful. I appreciate the information. Right. Well, thank you. And I love the theoretical question because it does happen to people every single day where they have a wallet or purse or whatever stolen. And the thank you, Joel just found it's TransferWise is the is the website and app for transferring money to someone who's stranded overseas at a much lower price than traditionally people have had to pay for money transfer. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Paul. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Paul. You have a question about something I have experienced recently. Sure, sure. My concern was um, these gated communities that you have to access. Um, I'm a licensed limousine service, uh, car service that I provide, and uh, I have clients inside some of these gated communities. And uh, they have a sign that requires you to show an ID. So, you know, I pull my driver's license and I show them my driver's license. Uh, Two of them recently wanted to scan my driver's license into their system. So I said, no, no, no. Um, I don't think that's safe. And they denied me access. So I just called my client and I told them, look, I can't pick you up. I'm sorry. I have to cancel you. Because I don't feel comfortable scanning my driver's license into a system that might not be as secure. Um, I don't know if these homeowners associations spend a lot of money to protect my driver's license. Right. There's a lot of information on it. Paul, I'm so, going to drive you crazy. Okay. Um, this is happening in doctor's offices all over the country, medical centers, labs, um, security gates, as you described. And these devices have become so inexpensive that instead of them going over to copy or making a a copy of your driver's license, which is how a lot of security gates did it before and doctor's offices, now they're just popping them into those digital scanners, scanning the uh, copy of your driver's license and handing you back. And then they have a digitized copy of your license. And... It's going to be universal. If you're going to stay doing what you're doing for a living, you're going to have to know that there's an enhanced risk that if one of these systems is not as secure as it should be and your driver's license information falls in the wrong hands, that is just what will have happened. Wow. Because Because it is becoming, if it's not everywhere, it will be pretty quickly as just a standard practice to scan those driver's licenses. 
But shouldn't they be required to have, you know, advanced security on, because they're collecting a lot of personal data on, on your driver's life. Right. And, and the risk is to them getting hit with a lawsuit if, let's say, you end up a victim of identity theft because they didn't have good security on the information they were scanning from your license. Somebody gets it, they create a new driver's license with all your information but their picture on it. You're the one left cleaning up the mess. So the burden to do it right is on the people who are doing the scanning of your license. And I would tell you that there's probably not a doctor's office in America that's put in these systems that's thought through the security side of that equation. And the same would go true for any homeowners association has not thought through the risk involved on the security side of this. So you're right to... Is it legal what they're doing, Clark? Completely legal. You're gaining access to a private, secure community and having the digitized copy of your driver's license is something that they're going to do as standard operating procedure moving forward because it helps them figure out patterns. If, let's say, there was a, a workman coming in routinely into a gated community, and then there was a pattern of burglaries, the police are then able to take those digitized records and try to look for pattern and maybe find who did it. There was actually a news story recently about this happening at a gated community where the scan licenses were able to lead back to four suspects that had been involved in several break-ins of both homes and vehicles at those homes. Right. So, you know, in the industry, that's just going to become, wow, look what it did in this case. They caught the four perpetrators. We should have these systems too. But your point is so valid What do you do about security of that information? Do I have a special consumer warning for you in today's Clark Rageous moment? Would you believe that the fraud alerts we're getting now on our smartphones are now being used against us? This is crazy. But here's what's happening, and there have been a number of of warnings about this just recently where you use a credit card that's outside a pattern and you may get a fraud alert from your credit card company saying hey did you just make this purchase or whatever well now criminals apparently are sending false fraud alerts fake fraud alerts and so you get this alert And typically, it'll have you click on a link there. And then in the fake fraud alerts, they'll have you verify account information. Well, you're verifying that information back to a crook. So the fraud alert you're receiving that's fake is predicting the future of you setting yourself up to be defrauded by the crook who sent the fake fraud alert. How about that? So this goes back to something that has played a role in thing after thing I think of involving pretexting. That's where you're you're called or sent a voicemail or, in this case, a text 
from someone pretending to be from another organization, the IRS, your bank, whoever. All right, when you get a fraud alert, the right thing to do would be to go to within the app of the brokerage house, bank, credit card company, whatever, on your phone, or go on your computer and go to the website of that organization, sign in, and see if there is anything that they want to speak to you about. Or, if it's a credit card, call the number on the back of your card. If there is an active fraud action on your account, you'll be sent straight to the fraud department at your credit card company. But in every case, call the number on the back of your card, not any number in the message you receive to make sure you're dealing with the right, legit people. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash clarkhoward. I've been asked more times than I could count in the last probably three or four months, maybe longer, if I thought we were in a bubble in the housing market. A lot of frustration on people's parts is housing prices are way outstripping income for so many people, first-time home buyers getting squeezed, move-up buyers getting squeezed. And I will tell you, I do not believe we are in a real estate bubble. Not at all. In fact, if you look at the conditions at work versus what we had last decade during the bubble, one of the things in the bubble last decade was as long as you were breathing, banks would lend you 100% of the money against the purchase of a home, even if you were buying it on spec and it was sitting empty. In neighborhood after neighborhood in the Phoenix metro area and the Las Vegas metro area during the bubble, there were large numbers of homes that had never been occupied. They were owned by somebody who was a speculator with 100% money, but they'd never been occupied. There was not an inherent demand for someone to live in that house. Whole different picture now. Home construction has never returned to the levels it was last decade. And lending requirements are, although they've eased over the last seven years from when they got extremely tight, they're still not handing out free money to anybody at any time. Not happening. So there is no uh, underlying mania going on that is bubbling up into a surplus of homes. In fact, we have a shortage of homes today, which any first-time or entry-level home buyer can certainly tell you when you're out looking for homes and how hard they are to find, how difficult they are to buy. One of the rental properties I have that I've owned forever, during the real estate bust, fell to as low with the foreclosures taking place. These are two-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath townhouses. They fell as low as the lowest sale there was during the bust was around $50,000. Now here they are. Uh, with the low point was 2011. Now the cheapest one for sale is around 270. Full, complete recovery. And they go on the market and they sell immediately because 
the the shortage of homes at lower entry points. And so this is, by the way, I'm not selling. <laughs> Make too much money off of it as a rental, even though it's tempting. But the point is that the housing market has shifted dramatically with household formations and not enough new homes being built. And we are short of houses, except at the high end where there is overbuilding. But then there's another factor, and that is the Federal Reserve to try to keep us out of a depression. As we got deeper and deeper into the Great Recession last decade, did a number of things to manipulate the amount of money available in the economy and interest rates. And so we went through years of having mortgage rates at rates that are unprecedented, with mortgage rates that fell at one point into the twos on 15-year loans, low to mid-threes on 30-year loans. That's over. But a lot of people have no intention of ever moving as a result of having locked in for the life of their loan at very low interest rates. In fact, a bank rate survey found that almost two-thirds of homeowners have no plans to move ever. People were asked in year spans, up to five years would they move, 20 years would they move, more than 20 years, or never planning to move? And nearly two-thirds said never planning to move. Because, you know, if you're looking at a mortgage interest rate of two-point-something or three-point-something, and rates now are closing in on 5%, if you move, you forever give up that phenomenal interest rate you have. So there are all these factors at work that are affecting the available supply, and it is going to be tough for the foreseeable future for first-time homebuyers as a result of all these different factors. Helen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Helen. Hi. I was interested in that pay-per-mile car insurance coverage. I wonder if it's uh, how they're rated. Do they pay their claims well? And is it a good deal for those of us that drive only five or 6,000 miles a year? I have had no complaints about the biggest player in that, which is Metro Mile. I don't know if that's the one you're looking at or another that one. That's the one, yes. Sorry? That is the one I, okay. was, I was thinking about. That's the only one that I know has obtained any meaningful size. They're in about a half dozen states at this point. And mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a great idea that especially works well for people who drive less than maybe 7,000 miles a year. Because if the car is not on the road, it's not going to be in a wreck. And right. so... I love the pay-per-mile auto insurance idea. Oh, that's good to hear. Why don't the uh, big companies offer this? Well, big companies don't offer generally a substantial discount for driving low miles, as you've probably experienced. They give you a little cut, but not a big one. And they really think about insuring a driver more than they think about insuring the number of miles that driver is driving. 
But I think that, and it's because the industry is a tradition-bound, very conservative industry, doesn't adapt to change well. And I think that with the ability for, um, for an insurer to know exactly how many miles you're driving, and they can know precisely now electronically that I like the idea of paying per mile for the miles I drive. As somebody who has an ultra-long commute hates me right now so much they can't stand it. Because if you were paying by mile for insurance, someone who drives a bundle of miles would really get hurt by that. But it is if you, I know it's an overused word, fair, but if you think about the risk that you represent driving, how many miles do you drive a year, Helen? About 6,000 or less. All right, 6,000 or less miles. The absolute risk that you bring to an insurer versus someone of similar age, similar driving record who drives a more standard 13 or 14,000 miles a year, you are representing a much lower level of risk because accidents are based on the opportunity of being on the road. So is Metro Mile offering you something that's substantially cheaper for driving 6,000 or less miles a year? Oh, yes. It would probably cut my premium in half. Which would make sense, right? Yeah. Because you're being charged based on what a typical driver would drive and the risk they would represent. I think you should try it. Oh, great. That's such good news. I'm happy to hear that. And they play there's a history of playing their claims well. Well, as I said, I've never had a complaint about them, so they're not on my radar in terms of how they handle claims. So you you are a pioneer because I have no guidance for you on their claims paying experience. Well, I think I'll go for it. Sounds great. And I'm sure I'll hear from you if they turn out to be a nightmare. (laughs) You will. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. You have a great day. And Angus is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angus. Hey, how you doing, Clark? Great, thank you. Angus, you are a very interesting man, huh? Yeah, somewhat. I've, uh, I'm from a family of 12. I got eight sisters and three brothers. Wow. And, uh, we pretty much grew up dirt poor. And uh, I quit high school in the 10th grade, went out and shoveled asphalt for a living. Um, went back and got my GED, went in the Air Force as an EOD technician for around nine years. Um, went from there. And Thank you very much for your service to our country, by the way, for those nine years. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for yours. Um, I went from the uh, Air Force into the Secret Service, um, served under President Clinton and uh, Bush. Went from there in the Air Marshals and retired out of the Air Marshals. And uh, what I was thinking about doing... Everybody tell I got a bunch of different stories from the different jobs I've worked with. Um, people keep telling me I need to write a book, and I have no idea where to start. <laughs> so what I would do, you're not naturally a writer, right? No, not not at all. But you like to talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would dictate your book. Oh, okay. You know, there's a lot of uh, very good software that even on your phone you can you can dictate your story. Yeah, And I'll tell you a little secret. I've written 10 books over the years with my uh, co-author for eight and co-authors for two others. Mm -hmm. And everything I ever did, 
I said rather than wrote. So oh, okay. we we did it with an old-fashioned uh, tape recorder, and I talked, and then they edited it. And because right. I express myself better verbally than I do written. But then mm -hmm. we ended up with 10 different books. And so if writing is not your thing, then talk your book. And then, yeah, you know, yeah. with these programs, they then transcribe your words. And you're able to go back and make changes, fix things that the, the audio transcribing didn't quite pick up. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the oldest program for doing this on a laptop is called Dragon Speak, but there are any yeah, of a number, that. including as I mentioned, the apps that will do this now, where you as you have thoughts, you can transcribe right into your phone. Mm -hmm. And then once you've uh, come up with a body of work that has enough content, mm -hmm. at that point hire an editor. Okay. And so you make it happen by telling your story. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not a natural writer and you have to sit down and start writing, it's yeah. never going to happen. You got that right. But if you can tell your story, you'd be amazed how quickly it will happen. Mm -hmm. And then hire you can hire an editor either by, um, if you have a college near you, you could uh, call the English Department or Literature Department, find a grad student mm -hmm. who wants to earn some side income and hire him or her as an editor. You can go on uh, something like TaskRabbit or Fiverr, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with those, and hire yeah, I, somebody. I looked at one, I believe, the other day on the Internet. So I was checking it out. Yeah, so you could hire somebody who's uh English lit kind of person and uh, – or copy editor and have them edit your works for you. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I never even thought of that aspect of it. Um, there I are so many people. Dictation. Well, there are so many people, Angus, who have a, a story that people would love to know, but mm -hmm. the writing is like writer's block. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. So talking it, I promise, will make it happen. And it uh, sounds like just from the get-go what you said growing up as you did with 11 brothers and sisters, I can't imagine. And from there, I'm sure the story stays interesting. And best of luck to you with it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's my pleasure to welcome Ken to the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ken. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well, thank you. Ken, you got a question for me as a homeowner, I'm guessing. Yes, I do. I've uh, owned a house for 22 years and had gotten married and had a kid and outgrowing my my residence and we want to upgrade and I was looking uh, uh I heard about this company that uh, online that will buy your house for you and let you move in and it it sounded too good to be true it sounded perfect for you know what we were looking at doing well actually and, uh, it's a hot thing in the country right now and what these companies do and not every city has these companies that will buy your home basically immediately. You know, you don't market your home normally or anything like that. They just buy it from you. Is they're looking at the median home price in a market plus or minus 20%. They're looking at the great middle of the housing market where they can pretty much figure out what fair market value is going to be for your home and then they make you an offer that will be enough less that they can uh, buy your home uh, do whatever repairs or decorative things they want to do to it get it back on the market and sell it and make a profit with the idea being they want to turn a home in like six weeks now, part of what they had mentioned is that they buy the house you want to move into, and so you can move into it before your house even sells. Well, you can do that, and uh, I mean, that's your choice, and that's, that is a strategy that is like a sideline to what we're talking about here. And I know one of the companies that's buying homes is doing that. Um, I think it's Knock is testing that. Yeah, Knock.com. And um, it, it, it sounds, because I mean, to sell your house and buy your new house and every, all the timing that has to happen, it, you know, it's like the perfect storm has to, has sure. to occur. And um, it seems What happens to you uh, if your old home doesn't sell in a period of time do they buy it for their normal trade-in price from you I, I think they give you the value for once you once you close with them all right um, as long as as long as you've got that assurance because generally with the other players that I know of are offer pad and open door and again not every one of these companies is in every city they're learning how to do it in a handful of cities and then they grow is most of the efforts are based on just buying your house you are done with that and then you know you're okay to go buy your new home what the experiment Knox doing where you can buy the new home and dispose of the old home all as part of one-stop shopping I don't know how that's gonna play the big question with any of these is the price you're being offered for the home you're selling a good price for your home and that's the unknown you're listening to the Clark Howard show if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show I'd love it if you'd subscribe whatever your favorite podcast app is we're pretty much there and whether you love what you hear from me or hate it 
take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 